Luke 22, 7-38. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my good body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Also a dispute rose among them as to which of them was considered the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as a wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you even know me. And then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them now, but now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, And he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. And the disciple said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That is enough, he replied. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor at Christ Central Church. And um, y'all can bother me, you know, while I'm, if I'm in town. As long as y'all want to have me over to eat or take me out to dinner or something like that, or I like to play video games, you know, you want to take me on a fishing trip, something like that, take Kelly to the spa with you. That's a woman taking her to the spa. Uh, We don't need no, we don't need all that. We don't need all that. Um, But, uh, and, uh, 
Uh, just some information. It's not as glorious a trip to St. Louis because Kelly is not going with me. No, it's not. It's it's the pastor summit that that Covenant Seminary puts on. It isn't the thing where she gets to go. So I'm going to her hometown without her. Um, so I'll be hanging out with her mom and the good food and all that. And, um, we tried to make it work. It didn't work. So um, uh, the other piece is um, we have uh, Mark Whipple with us today. Mark, raise your hand back there. Mark is a pastor in our denomination. He, thanks, bro. Um, I want you to sit down quick because he's a church planner and he might get some of y'all to move with him. <laughs> no. He's planting a church in Asheville, North Carolina, and um, met... Mark and his wife, Jen, at the Church Planters Assessment Center. And it's where they figure out whether you're supposed to go to church planting. And it feels kind of weird because I was one of the assessors. So I got to know Mark and Jen real well, okay? Um, and what I saw, and we had some time talking yesterday, Lord's going to do a work there in, in West Asheville uh, through them. And um, so if you know anybody in Asheville, West Asheville, anywhere in that part of the city who are looking for a church, if he's right back there. He's good friends with the Chittisters. We found out that they went to Duke together, and um, everybody finished Duke together? Okay, just making sure. Um, and uh, so it was just kind of an interesting whatever. So if you can talk to Mark and help him out and get him some contacts, or if you're moving to Asheville, you can go hang out at his church. Um, so let me give you a glossary real quick for those who haven't been in our sermon series so far. When I say revolution, I'm talking about um, gospel revolution, redemption, change that God does in the earth in our lives, um, salvation, peace where there is no peace, change where change hadn't come, restoration for things that are broken, revolution done through the work of Jesus Christ. As we come to the end of our New South Revolution sermon series, it's only fitting, I think, that we look at a passage and event that happened at the end of Jesus' life here on earth. As we come to this last sermon in our series, it is right and good and settling that we take a look at the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples. It is Passover week, and since all Passover meals had to be done within the city walls of Jerusalem to be official, the city is hopping and scrambling with visitors. Whole family groups, like uh, family reunion time, all with the same kind of matching off-color shirts, looking for the one nice spot for the cookout. And enter Jesus and his disciples. No matching shirts, probably. No one family name. A, di a diverse group of social and religious alternatives and outcasts. And Jesus, sort of like the big brother here in the family and leader of the group, gives them some good news. There is a place in, in Jerusalem and a man in Jerusalem did a, did a nice family room add-on on top of his house. And he said, we can use it for the Passover meal. So go get the ice and the paper plates and all of that stuff. And let's get ready to celebrate. Now back then they would have the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread together for convenience sake, you know, like doing family reunions on the 4th of July or Labor Day weekend. And so they would have gotten a lamb slain at the temple and then brought it to eat together for dinner. 
So here is the dinner scene. The last supper scene. I know you have that beautiful piece of art on the front of your bulletin. And some of y'all grandmama had that up in her house. But I want you to forget that for a minute. It's beautiful. It just ain't quite right. I want you to think Japanese. I want you to think low table. Bible says they reclined together. I was going to do it for y'all, but this floor looked kind of dirty, and I got my nice white shirt. <laughs> my mama is not here, but my wife. Why'd you get on the ground? But anyway, if you could imagine, you know, they would, they would, oh heck, so they would like have their feet behind them, and they would be lounging on one left with one right hand like this. So you're kind of a little lower than a person to to your right or left, and so it's easy, you know, in part, you've heard the one who had his head on Jesus' breast, where Jesus would be right there, and this guy might be leaning, you know, especially when your elbow get tired, you just kind of lean on folk. Anyway, so that's more what it looked like. They're lounging at this table, and and again, one on the left, they're laying a little lower, and then you kind of reach with your right, and they, you know, again, these Japanese table thing going on on mats and pillows, and then you would have to use, again, the one hand, and Jesus gets up as is customary for the host, which was usually the role of the father of the family, and after the Passover feast, when they eat all the meat and all that kind of stuff, and the bitter herbs and all the stuff along with it, breaks the bread and says something uncustomary. Breaking traditional cultural religious ranks, Jesus uh, says, this is my body given for you or broken in some accounts. And this and then he takes the cup of wine and does a religious toast and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And it is beautiful in a bloody sort of vampire cannibalistic way at first sight. If he had thrown in the fodder for beans, we'd be in trouble. For those who are Hannibal Lecter fans, sorry about that. And at that moment, things begin to fall apart. Right after he does this beautiful ceremony about his body and his blood, it turns to the dinner scene out of the color purple. Y'all ain't seen that one with a knife to the throat? Y'all don't know about that. Whoa. Or maybe uh, the, the table scene out of New Jack City, if you remember that movie. Or the Godfather, you know, with the Godfather walking with the bat around it. You know what I'm saying? It just it gets kind of crazy because because things uh, get nervy when Jesus follows this awesome toasting scene with the hand of one who is on the table with me will betray me. Since everyone had their hand on the table, probably with his, it starts a questioning of it ain't me, Lord. Who could it be? Right. And then it turns south when they begin to confirm their loyalty. The Bible says they begin to talk about who was the greatest among them. And isn't it weird how it goes from being a good family time to being accusatory? And then a fight breaks out about who is the greatest and who did or said what and who will betray Jesus. And, and Jesus lets them know at this point that the one who serves is the greatest. And so as you serve in my grassroots Lord of the Universe election campaign, you'll get a post in my cabinet one day. And you can see them feeling better. Some laughing comes back. They're probably like, yeah, man, I'm going to get the corner office in Jesus' kingdom. And, and then Jesus looks over at Peter. You know, I mean, Jesus wants 
to start some mess. He doesn't want it to be for your folks just trying to have a good time. And he looks over at Peter and Jesus calls out the brother, right? Peter, Peter, seeing it twice was like saying, my, my friend, my partner, my dog. And everybody is probably thinking, oh, Jesus is about to make Peter the greatest. He says, Peter. And Peter's like, yes, Lord. Satan is as to sift you like we. But Peter, I prayed for you and that your faith will not fail. But when you come back, your senses help others. I mean, this is tough. Can you see Jesus' eyes, right? The same eyes that looked at a dead body and say, get up. And the same eyes that looked at uh, some feet that weren't working and healed him. And he looks at the same eyes that looked at Peter. And man, you want to betray me. And, and Peter's like, why me? Wait, no, wait, not me. I will die for you, Jesus. You my man. I'm Peter. Maybe Bartholomew. I mean, listen to his name, Lord Bartholomew. I'm Peter the Rock. I got your back, JC. And Jesus says, Peter, before sun up, you act like you never seen me. You know, you've been in this position before, right? When you maybe said something wrong or somebody kind of confronts you in front of everybody and everybody kind of looking at you. Could you see the disciples? Uh Uh-oh. And you're kind of looking, but everybody's afraid because they could be red next. You know, and your mama confronts you on something. And everybody, the other brothers and sisters, they know not to laugh because they next. And you're, there's always a one person trying not to laugh. Maybe it's Bartholomew. <laughs> I don't know. You thought you are going to be the greatest. Jesus got you, didn't he? And just when you think you can go ahead and move on and have a good time. Jesus reminds them of what we looked at last week in Matthew 10. He says, remember when I said you don't need money or sandals and don't take stuff and money bag when you went on your missionary journey? You had everything, right? When you got to those cities, when you told them about the kingdom, you were okay. And they're like, yeah, you're like, we were good. Well, if you got some money, you better take some. And if you have a bag or a money clip or some Dooney Burke sack to hold and save what you got to get more, you better get that too. And if you have a coat, best to sell that for a sword, a switchblade, some nunchucks, a taser or something because you're going to need that too. In other words, it is better to be cold than not packing for your protection. Because when I do what I need to do, which means die and sort of declare the season that I'm the Lord and and apply all this stuff, it ain't going to be so easy for y'all anymore. And then the disciples jump up. Well, Lord, they might have, look, what I think about, we got two swords right here. I'm thinking they're taking the, the, the knife they cut the bread with, right? Lord, we got two swords right here. We ready to go, Lord. We, we, we ready to rumble for you. And Jesus just shakes his head. You can see him. Because he's a poet. And they act like they don't know it. They take literally what is deeper. And once again, they don't get it. You know how it ends the last supper here? Enough. <laughs> Conversation over. It's too much for y'all. Y'all ain't ready to handle the revolution. You're not obviously ready to handle all that I must do or what will happen in you. The end of the Last Supper. We have thrown some hard, if you go back and listen to the sermon series, and offensive and challenging 
and perplexing and confusing and even on the other side, liberating and exciting stuff at you in this New South Revolution sermon series. It's left many of us, me included, much like Jesus' disciples here at the Last Supper, wanting and confused and needing more information. What do I need to do, Lord? And even failing to act like they actually lived with Jesus for the last three years. And like them, for us, it is easy to forget or miss what Jesus is teaching us in here in this Last Supper, what he taught them for the last three years. Hear this. For God's revolution to bring change in this world, he is not asking you and me to bring revolution, but to come to the revolution. He's not asking us to carry the revolution, but be carried and kept by the revolution. He's not asking us to fuel it, but to be fed by it. That the revolution we've talked about, this missional thing that is going to happen through us and in us, it is not about us. The burden to make it happen is on him. And he wants us to see that anew. Understand that this is no ordinary meal. This was a celebration and with, and, and with it, it was like their soul food, if you will. It was a meal and an occasion that was more than a snack and more than just an ordinary meal. It told a story and around it stories were told. It sent a message and around it like no other meal messages were given. And Jesus uses this Passover meal to do just that. It was a soul food event. I don't know whether this is your cultural expression. But like Passover here, for us there is a different story and message when at our home soul food is served, right? Something changes. I'm not talking about just getting the biscuit and the chicken, okay? That's called a snack. That's why they call it two-piece snack. Even if you put fries in it, that still ain't what I'm talking about. But like this Passover, I'm talking about the full spread. This was the fried chicken and fish and the baked ham and the beef roast and for some, pig foot and chitlins, I know. And and the macaroni and cheese and the green beans and the black eyed peas and the okra soup and the, and the rice and the collard or turnip greens, the candy yams, the biscuits, the cornbread. And for you, it might be a sort of a different kind of full spread soul food thing. But complete with the desserts, right? The pound cake and the sweet potato pie and the pecan pie and apple pie and chocolate cake and socket to your cake and to wash it all down, sweet tea, lemonade, or a tall glass of ice water. (laughs) That would fit in the story, red velvet cake. This is my body and my blood. I, I get it, I get it. Maybe you a poet and you don't know it. Okay. But I guess my point is when you get those elements, it tells a story. It sends a message. And like Jesus with his disciples that Passover, as with our soul foods, his message was clear. For Jesus to have this family meal with them, he was declaring and establishing a people to be in a place of revolutionary relationship. It's funny how this happens, but if you come to one of our events, one of our big family events, which often centers around food, 
you ain't got no food, ain't really no vent, you know. In our culture, the meal automatically makes us intimate in ways we weren't before we started eating, right? Usually it's my dad that says, you know, middle of the meal, you family now, eh? Right? What? Just after eating some greens? <laughs> you know, with hot sauce, is that it? You don't get no whippings? You didn't have to go through the punishment? That's kind of ain't fair. And he goes on, you're always welcome. And you know what's funny is I look back at Christmas meals or Thanksgiving meals or Fourth of July celebration of Sunday dinners or, or whatever. There's always somebody who wasn't your family before who became your family at that point. And oftentimes they are eating with us because what? They are too far from home. Maybe a college friend or, or someone whose family no longer has a matriarch, a patriarch to, to hold it all together. Or sometimes it is more deliberate than that as a girlfriend or a newborn baby or someone that we invited on purpose, right? But well, the message of this Passover meal is saying I am building and creating and calling for a place and a people who because of the revolution... Because of my call for lives to be changed and restored. Because of the way the gospel uh, message calls for eclectic community. And because of the way this gospel message can make us and call us aliens and, and enemies. And make us weirdos and, and misfits and mishaps. And in our own communities and families. And, and all the misfit people we may bring because of it. For, for the way Jesus has made us crazy. Because listening and following him has left us, many of us like the disciples, homeless and feeling alone and, and needing somebody else who can help me understand who I am and what Jesus is doing in me and through me. Because Jesus has caused such a glorious mess in our lives. He has to, and he was good to, create and call people like me and you to a new place. As a new people. It makes sense to what Jesus says here about the need for cloaks and swords now. What he is saying is that when he dies and Christianity becomes its own faith distinguished from Judaism, the families and the heritage that helped support you when you went around declaring the good news will be gone. You will need your own fellowship. You will need a new and different kind of family, a new family, a new place like you see happening around this table. Jesus saying for your survival, I mean, you need some help. You need somebody or bodies to talk to, to, to share your stories and, and share the story of the revolution or else, like we see them doing and pulling out the swords on your own, you will get defensive and fearful and, and become self-righteous or discouraged or, or so lonely that you would get the whole Christianity thing wrong. And Jesus saying, I will not let that happen to my people. You know when folk get alone and start thinking their own faith stuff? It always comes out cultish or corny or really messed up or dangerous. Well, I've been, you know, on my own personal journey in the mountains for a few months. Let me tell you, follow me. I've got a new way. Don't follow that dude. If you've been in the mountains, I've been on the personal Mecca, me and God, for the past year. I've got a vision. You need to come on back to church. Don't go with that. Jesus calling us in such a confusing place with such confusing hearts to need each other 
in Him in a place and as a people for our spiritual survival. That through this meal, He is sending a message and a beacon call to all those whose lives have been misplaced and recalled by the gospel in a sinful and broken world. He's saying, come to the table. Because I have secured and created and made a place for you to be known and loved. I'm calling for a place to be served and sharing and seen and fellowship with and cared for in a confusing and alienated world. I mean, look at verse 24 here. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Verse 26, but you are not to be like that, like the people in the world. And said, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table, the one who serves. It is the one who is at the table. But I am among you as one who serves. So they're arguing about who is the greatest. And a couple things here I want you to see. They, they are reclining at the table and only have their right hands to dip and kind of eat. In order for this to work, they had to use the hand of the person to the left or the right to get what they needed on the table. And so Jesus says, who is the greatest servant? The one who is a table, the one who is not a table. Of course, Jesus is pointing to himself at the table. But he is saying, and we'll get back to that, but he is also saying that we serve each other in the place and people Jesus is calling us to be. That, that we must rely on our sense of familyness and companionship to serve each other at the table and around the table. This is how this revolution works. This is how this place and people work. And it makes sense when Jesus talks about the greatest being the servant. Because think about it. When I get back to my soul food thought. When that chicken that I want is a couple of platters away and I can't reach it, you know who the greatest is at that point? The greatest is the one who can pass me what I need. Jesus is saying... The greatest among you is the one who is able to serve you. The one who you're connected to, who can actually give you what you need and what you can't get on your own and for yourself. This is the way the kingdom is going to work. They only had right hands, right? It tells me something about how we are. Metaphorically, God calls and sees us as all one-handed in our ability to make it happen in and for ourselves, to heal and fix ourselves or bring comfort to ourselves. And Jesus is saying, come to a place where you can only get served as you serve each other in a place where everyone is needy of service and everyone is in a position to serve. In this new place, in this new South Revolution, right here in Charlotte, Jesus calling us to and beginning to build and then back then has now become an old place in the new South. But once again, hopefully, become a new place of revolution. The church. The church. Because the revolution will not and cannot happen 
The restoration of lives and community and families that, that cultural burdens will not be alleviated. That eclectic, diverse community and changing the South for the better will not and cannot happen without you being found and finding and being part of a people and place called the church. That there is room at the table for you through Jesus. But by all means, find a table in a place somewhere. Because on your own, all the stuff we're talking about, mission and changing, I'm going to say it again, it will overwhelm you. You will get discouraged. You will get hungry in ways you can't feed yourself. You will get confused. So good news. Jesus calls us in this new South Revolution to a new place as a new people. We have a home and we have a family in his church. And it is in this place and his people that Jesus authenticates us and keeps us and holds us. We see Jesus call out the betrayer, Judas, through and at this meal. Judas, who is not his. Authentically, Judas, you are not mine. Who turns out to not believe in Jesus. But it's interesting how it turns here. Because right after he calls out the one who's betrayer, he calls out Peter by name as being one who will deny him, who will fall under the pressure, pressure of Satan. And and then the sword thing completely misunderstood. And then they pull out the swords and they completely misunderstand what Jesus says to them. Get this. They take Jesus' conversation about how his body will be broken for them and bloodshed and that one of them will betray him and they turn it into a conversation about who was the most righteous at the table. Those his disciples. Those the cats that helped write this. Know this from this passage. Like them, y'all, we, me and you, will make mistakes and we will sin. And we will fail Jesus. And we will fall. And we will let Jesus and other folk around that family table down in this world. In the midst of the revolution, you will ignore the poor when you shouldn't. You'll buy more and have more than you should have. You will laugh and or let racist and sexist jokes fly by. And some of us even participate in them. You will be too afraid to speak up. You will be too powerless to say no to sin. And in arrogance, you will speak too much. Christians, disciples, apostles... (laughs) You will get much of what this Bible is saying wrong lots of the time. And thus goes the testimony of your own pastor and pastor's life. I don't along with some of you always believe Jesus. Some mornings I wake up and I'm like, yeah, right. 
Sometimes when I'm thinking about this church, I'm like, Jesus, you're calling for something too hard. Forget the church, forget the revolution, forget all that kingdom stuff. Sometimes I, I, so many times, I choose my comfort over my commitment to the kingdom. Be assured in our selling out, in our misunderstanding and twisting of what Jesus is saying, be assured of what Jesus assured Peter. When he calls his name twice, this is not mama having to call you twice, right? Because when mama got to call you twice, that means you're going to get beat twice, right? (laughs) Why I had to call you twice? Oh, no, right? (laughs) This is not a double call of frustration. This is affection. Hear me. This is affection. This is love for a child or younger brother that will go through some condemning situations. This is Jesus calling Peter, knowing that he will, that there will be something to come to try his faith. Jesus is in love with Peter with these words. And it tells us how he sees and addresses us in our failures and misconceptions and fears and fallings. Jesus is declaring that he will not abandon the revolution that is happening in you. Therefore, he will not leave or forsake the leaving and forsaken. That he will pray for the prayerless. That he will be truth for those that misunderstand. That he will speak for the choked up. That he will become the servant of those who want to be haughty. That he will fix all that we have broken in our arrogance and ignorance. That he will keep up with the runner and go down with the sinner. That this is what is revolutionary. That Jesus loves and never will stop loving sinners that are his people. That he's eternally committed to them in ways that they will not and cannot be committed to him. That he will cover and deal with and take on their mistakes and like Peter, forgive and then return them to a right place. That he is forever forgiving. So guess what? You cannot ruin the revolution. You cannot fail the mission of Christ in this world and in you. Jesus will not let you. He will not allow you to to fall away from him completely, though you deny him. That you can't mess up what Jesus has already promised to do in you and through you. That yes, he will call you out. Howard, Howard, oh no, here we go. But then love and stay with and help and heal whatever is messed up in you, out of you. The revolution is coming. Change is coming. And if you are his, it is coming through an unbreakable, unstoppable love of God for those in the crosshairs and crossroads and and backroads of a gospel revolution in the New South who are broken and not always trusting and and confused so-called soldiers of a New South revolution. Welcome for some. For many of us, welcome back. To the assurance of Jesus's revolutionary love for you. And it tells us once again that we are not called to fuel or be the fuel of the revolution. But to turn to Jesus who is the food 
the soul food of the revolution. Again, like any gathering this sort around soul, soul food, there's a message and story communicated through it and by it, right? And for my people, my culture, it says that we have a history of our food use that has survived and, and made it and been resourceful through it. Y'all know how, you've read stories about how soul food came to be. The ribs used to not be the good part of the meat, right? Folk who got them scraps and, hey, you can have them greens over there, ain't nobody want that. You can have this cornmeal, ain't nobody know what to do with that, right? Just go, you can have the little pieces of okra. And folk would get it together and be resourceful, had to eat, had to survive. And out of this throwaway piece of baby back ribs, ah, Lord. Now you got to pay $17 for it. You know what I'm saying? At the Passover, they would say the following line as they broke the bread. Let me be careful here. No. This is the bread of affliction. Our ancestors ate when they came from Egypt. And it was done to point to the middle passage between freed as slaves to entering the promised land when they wandered in the deserts and sometimes unsure of whether it would ever happen for them. And at that time, many died and many suffered, but God fed them from heaven and kept them and they did enter the promised land. But now they're back in a position as a people where they, hey, look, Roman occupation, all this stuff, we still eat the bread of affliction. Jesus gets up and he breaks the bread. And he doesn't say, this is the bread of our affliction. He says, this is my body broken for you. And then with the wine, this is my bloodshed for you. In doing so, in substituting it in the way that he did, he rewrote the story. He is saying that things that separate you from God, from having right relation with God and yourself and with, uh, with each other and you in the world, I will deal with as my body is broken. That your sense of revolutionary freedom and peace, it relies on me. That I will be the bread of your affliction. I will take the penalty of your sin and share in your suffering in my act of dying. I will bear the burden of the coming revolution, but I am also the fuel and power and drive in God behind the revolution. I am the soul food because I am actually food for your soul. So that you can rest and believe and be restored and unburdened and reconciled and remotivated. Eat of me, my words and my worship and from my people and from my ministry and from sacraments like my Lord's Supper. Take in my grace and my gospel for your soul and all the ways I have given it. Jesus saying like the lamb we ate, like this broken bread and wine as I serve it. I died to be your food. And I live to feed you. My Annie probably was, in my mom's side of the family, the cook. She'd bring it all together. She would shop all day. If the meal was on Sunday, she'd shop all day on Saturday. Y'all know soul food can cost a lot. You ever seen the movie Soul Food when they had Big Mama House or whatever? I'm like, every Sunday she got ham? What kind of money Big Mama got? Every Sunday she got ma- That stuff costs a lot, y'all. Trust me. Go ahead and have Thanksgiving at your house one day. I mean, good Lord. Three, four hundred dollars later, people still sitting around. Is there any more? You know? 
she would pay for it. And she would prepare it all day. And people would be there just eating. You ever been to food so good, everyone talking, and then it's this moment of quiet? <laughs> you know the food good, right? But, and then you just hear chomping. And, and knives and forks hitting the plate. You know, you just hear, there, there's a certain sound where there are no voices because there's food in your mouth, right? And sometimes I'd look up and she would be kind of like halfway between the kitchen and the dining room and she would just be looking at us with a smile. Just looking. Hands probably got some flour on it still. I mean, just, just looking. Now, it was like, it would be literally, literally be like her food was watching us eat. Like she was actually eating through her eyes, right? Like like she lived to feed us, but like she lived on feeding us. And when it would get quiet, she would just stand there and watch. Like she was eating and getting satisfied and filled just by watching us get fed and filled. Seeing if anyone needed anything else was her food. It's an interesting verse here. Jesus said, in verse 18, For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And after that, they had a discussion about who's the greatest and being the one who is, is the meal. And then he rises. Remember, he has to rise from his lounging because he needs both hands to break the bread while the others lounge to make it available for them to eat. He has to stand and then declares after this, after they go nuts, argue about who's the greatest, that they will sit on 12 thrones, which ultimately, ultimately meant they will, they will help bring groups of people into the kingdom. But get this, Jesus is declaring as the greatest servant among you, Your food is me. My food is serving and suffering and holding and keeping and loving and restoring and providing all of what you and the world need in order to experience the honor and dignity and wonder and glory of being with God. Jesus is saying, I will not rest until you can. I will not sit in the place of honor so that one day you can. I will not eat, but I will die so that you can eat and live eternally so you can. I I will not stop being the savior of sinners until you and all my people are redeemed and come home and sit around that table and know and eat of my love and are filled. What is the revolution? It's participating. And eating and fellowshipping on God and with God through Jesus Christ. This is the revolution. This is what Jesus is calling us to. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you see us. 
You feed us. You pay for it. So that we can rest. And believe. And be fulfilled. You live still to serve us. And to reach us. To hold us. To heal us. Do this revolution in us. So that we can know you. And love you. And in that serve each other. In this world. This we pray in your name Jesus. Amen.